I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 73. Today in the show, in this little bonus episode, Dan and I are going to be quickly recapping our past two weeks chasing elk. Before we dive into our elk hunting discussion, though, we need to quickly thank our partners at Sitka Gear, who've stepped up big time to make this year's Wired to Hunt podcast possible. And if you spent any time at all checking out Sitka Gear on social media like Facebook or Instagram, you've probably seen people using the hashtag SickForIt to tag their photos or comments. It's become a pretty popular little slogan for a lot of Sitka-wearing guys and girls and a lot of other hunters, too. So... When I chatted with Sitka product category leader Dennis Zuck last, I was curious to hear about where this sick for it hashtag and saying came from. Here's Dennis. Yeah, it's it's kind of a really funny thing and it's kind of cool. People kind of grabbed right onto it. But, you know, I think, you know, if you look at some of the why we do what we do and all the other stuff in the Sitka films and the videos and kind of that, you know, just trying to always be in the moment, trying to always go after things, you know, kind of, you know, get out in the woods, get out, hunt, do all the stuff we do. You know, somebody's like, you know, we're, you know, being sick for it. And, and we kind of thought about that. And it was just an interesting tag to describe that, you know, just that, that sickness we all kind of have about, you know, being in the outdoors. So it's something we kind of did the hashtag thing and it kind of caught on quick. And, you know, now it's on gun barrels all over the place, which is fantastic. So there you go. If you've got the fever, if you're afflicted with a serious addiction to whitetails, if you are truly sick for it, you ought to check out Sitka's gear made truly for us fanatics at SitkaGear.com. And now, let's kick off the show. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. I gotta apologize to you all. We didn't have an episode last week because I was in Oregon chasing elk, and before that, me and Dan were in Idaho chasing elk. 
And that is the theme of our podcast today. We want to just get you all up to date on what we've been up to the last two weeks. We're going to take a brief break from whitetail stuff to uh, to share with you perspective of a whitetail hunter gone west um, and talk to you about what that's been like, the challenges we had, the experiences we had, um, and what we learned along the way. So it's going to be a shorter episode, kind of a bonus episode here, but we want to make sure we talked about this topic for all of you that might be considering a hunt out west or chasing elk someday. You know, maybe this will be interesting to you. So, Dan, what? Uh, how did you feel the day you got back? You know, we drove, I drove 24 hours, or you drove 18 hours to get, well, we drove 18 hours to get you back to Iowa. How did you feel that day you got back to Iowa after our week in Idaho? <laughs> Oh man, I think I just barely dried out. <laughs> I think it's funny because I got home, I was exhausted because, you know, obviously we're both exhausted from the trip. We're both exhausted from the then the additional drive, and um, um, I think it was like we were both just on autopilot. And then I got home, and then my wife goes, "Here's the kids." <laughs> <laughs> so then I was up for another eight hours straight watching kids. So it was, uh, it was, an, it was exhausting, but well worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, while you were dealing with the kids, I had a heck of a time trying to get home cause I was so exhausted. You know, I, I made it, I think an hour after dropping you off and then I had to stop at a gas station and sleep in a parking lot for an hour. And then I was able to drive another like three hours. And then again, I was like hallucinating. I could not focus on the road pulled over again slept in another truck stop um so man i didn't get home till late that evening because i just could not stay awake it was tough yeah uh but you know just the scenery out there blows my mind the scenery of the actual you know the drive back I was like a little, I was like, Ooh, there's a pronghorn. Ooh, there's a pronghorn. Ooh, there's a pronghorn. You <laughs> like were <laughs> every, every, every five minutes we're driving through Wyoming. And if you guys don't know, Wyoming is like the capital of, uh, pronghorns and I'm just watching, Ooh, there's a big one. Ooh, there's a big one. You know? So you were pretty, like, pretty stoked. I was, I was like a kid. <laughs> so, so let's take it back to the beginning. Let's walk through our, our, our week out there. We, I picked you up on Sunday morning. We drove straight through. We got into Idaho Monday morning. We got to our little pull-off spot. We're about to drive in, and um, there's more people there than I've seen there in the past couple of years. What were you thinking when we got there? Well, I really wasn't too concerned because, I, 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 like I said to you, I, I didn't have any real expectations for this. Basically, just this was the first time for me, so I was just there to absorb. Um, but they were packing up like the area that we hunt also has sheep on it throughout the year right yeah they graze sheep on part of it yep right so they had a huge roundup and they rounded up all the sheep into this corral that where where we parked by and and i thought that was going to be a good thing that they got all the sheep out of there and we're good to go now but and i thought originally that the other campers were some of the the cowboys that were there, you know, getting all these sheep, but little did we know. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking and hoping the same thing, but yeah, so we hiked in, you know, the couple miles into where we usually camp, where I've camped in the past. We set up camp, 
things were looking pretty good. And then I think we started realizing there might be an issue when we saw two guys walk past our camp, um, yep. you know, that afternoon. And then we went to go get water. Yep. And the, <laughs> the first thing we see is a whole bunch of tents underneath this tree where you said last year was like the money spot to be. Like we were, we were seeing elk and, and bu- elk were bugling right there. Yeah, it was a spot to yeah. hunt. And now this year there was three tents, an electrical fence corral set up for three horses. Yep. And and while we're getting there, we're like, what's on the back of that guy's horse? Well, it was antlers and it was meat. So he like, we got water for the very first time. It's a guy packing out uh, a bull elk. Yeah, and uh, it was a decent size elk too, and that was the closest we got to seeing uh, <laughs> an elk. That, that yeah, uh, that was day. that was our best big bull encounter of the trip. <laughs> sure. Yes, yeah, so we got water. We saw those guys hunting in our spot. We went back to camp, and then a family of four walked past our camp. Yeah. So, and like I told you, you know. In the past, the past two years of hunting this spot, we've never had any issues with any other hunters at all. Like, I, I saw that last year we had two guys walk past our camp the first day, and that's the only other time I've ever seen another hunter out there ever over the past two years at all. And now, in our first day, we've got, like, nine people. Yeah. And that was kind of the story of the hunt. We, you know, at that point... I was really stressed out because I was worried, okay, there's a lot more people in here. This is totally going to change, you know, what I thought the elk would be doing. So that first afternoon, you know, you and me were sitting there thinking, okay, should we pack up camp and move already? Or can we get into some elk still with this as our base camp and we can just hike out a ways and find them? Um, But we decided, you know, that night we said, okay, let's spend tonight and just let's see what the situation is. Before we get over all worked up and pack up camp and leave, let's... Let's see what things look like tonight and then maybe the next morning. So that night we went, hiked out way far east of direction, you know, a couple miles, and we did see some elk. We saw, I think, four cows down low that we bumped while walking at one point. We saw, I think, six cows way up high in one distance, and I think we saw another four cows way the other way on a ridge, right? Mm -hmm. And that was right. Yep. And, you know, that was the very first night. And I, I thought that was awesome, you know, but. This is what I, I read about after experiencing what we experienced. And I talked to some other guys who actually live out in Idaho. I guess Idaho had a lot of rain this year, which means that the grass grew at higher elevations, meaning the elk, they didn't even need to come down to the lower elevations to get their food like they typically do. So that, that's one of the reasons why I think they were just at a higher elevation. Yeah, I think we definitely saw that. That's for sure. Between that and then the, you know, way, you know, greatly increased hunting pressure than I've seen in there before. I think those those two things put those elk way up high and hard to get to. Yep. Um, (laughs) So we set up, we went back to camp that night. Well, first off, we hiked, you know, to the spot, did some glassing, saw some elk, came back. Tell me, how did you feel after our first day of hiking around the mountains? I tell you, I thought I did a good job preparing myself physically for this trip and I did I felt I I was good but that thin air up there just kicks your butt I mean on the way back on the way there you know I hadn't acclimated yet I mean as far as on this evening hunt on the way to our glassing spot 
I was, I was, you know, feeling it. But on the way back, oh my lord, just we went up some almost straight up stuff and some straight up faces, and my legs were burning, and I, I was taking like five, six, seven, eight steps at a time, and then having to stop and catch my breath. And luckily, the preparation that I did for this hunt, I feel helped me recover faster. So, you know, I needed like, you know, by the very first day, I was like, okay, give me two minutes. And by the very last day, when I, I could, I could pound it out a little bit more. And I think maybe you saw that as well. Yeah, it did. Where I got acclimated and I could start moving around and at a, at a better pace. And when I needed to, you know, have a timeout, it only took me like 30 seconds to recover. And then I could go again for a while. So I don't know, man. I, it's one of those things where you almost have to live up there all year round to, to truly feel comfortable moving around. I mean, I'm, I'm from Iowa. I think where I live is like 300 foot elevation. So I don't know what it's, I, we were, what we were, we camped at about 6,400 feet. And I think the highest we got was almost 8,000. So yeah, it was, it was an experience. Yeah. I think, um, you know, in past years I felt pretty good, but this year, especially, you know, since I lived out there for two months and was hiking all the time, that helped a ton. I mean, just like you said, having that time out there, just acclimatizing and, and even no matter how much you work out, it is hard to really exactly replicate what you're doing out there. You know, just hiking up and down, up and down, up and down in that thin air. It's hard to really prepare for that. You can only, you know, like you did, you can just do the best you can. And then when you get out there, just try to tough it out. Yep. And, uh, we did. And I think what was the, what was the word of the week? The word of the week was brutal, brutal, brutal. I I think, uh, we got home. We were sitting there, um, cooking our, our meals, our, uh, freeze dried meals and, uh, listening to a couple elk bugle in the distance and just looking at the stars and me and you were going, man, this is going to be an awesome week. And, uh, fast <laughs> fast forward about what five hours later yeah i'm I'm, two, fa- I'm fast asleep in my tent comfortable cozy dreaming of big bulls and then something happened yeah i started feeling it started raining and, and i started so, real quick real quick we are in two separate tents right we each brought our own tent okay so yep. now i'm cozy in my tent you're in your tent continue and it starts to rain and i'm borrowing a, a friend uh buddy who does a lot of backpacking so i borrowed his tent he told me it's you know hey it works pretty good and i i wake up to dribbles of water on my face and i look down and my tent is full of water so i'm like oh mark uh you know i I tried to like adjust myself to where i wouldn't need to get into your tent but it was inevitable i mean and then so we had to make a quick adjustment. I had to throw all my stuff in, like not all my stuff, but like kept my gear in my tent. And then I put some of my clothes and my boots and uh, uh, my sleeping bag. And so I, I jumped in with Mark basically. <laughs> so we, we snuggled up the very first first night. And, uh, that's a good way to kick things off. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So the next morning, the next morning was awesome because it was – it, it still rained a little bit, but it wasn't downpouring. 
I don't know, man. There was it was downpouring for a decent bit of that morning. Yeah, what I guess. Think? I think, but we wouldn't have gone hunting if it like because it started off it it was raining, but it was like a drizzle, and we're like, okay, looking at the weather, it's supposed to let up. Yeah. Well, we get about a half mile away from our tent, and then we just yeah pounded, and we're just we're sitting there going, and we can't even move. It's raining so hard we can't see. And then the <laughs> other thing is that out there, you know. The the I don't I think it's clay or something I don't know what it is but whatever the mud is the dirt I mean, when it gets wet it just becomes grease I mean you can't hardly take a step without slipping and falling it's yeah. so hard to walk yeah it was it was walking on Vaseline and uh, by that time the every my my thirty five dollar rain suit had already soaked through so like like I said I said to you every Every place that I tried to save money was ex- was exposed. Meaning, I tried to save money on a, a cheaper rain suit. That didn't work, and so the whole point of this of me saying this right now is save your money for Western hunts because literally your gear, your life could depend on the quality of deer you have. I mean, that first day when I was soaking wet, I felt my body kind of going downhill like I I was maybe in the pre-stages of hypothermia or something like that because I was just I wasn't feeling feeling right yeah well that it really became even the whole trip to a degree you know became more so just like survival versus like an enjoyable hunting trip it was just you know especially with with a bad tent and bad rain gear and cold you know it was cold temperatures we had the temps in like the 40s I think you know when you're soaking wet and in the 40s, and you're out there miles and miles away from civilization, you know, it's all you can do just to keep on, you know, keep on keeping on. Well, and that's what I said. I mean, I was telling you, you're like, hey, let's stop here for a second. I'm just like, man, we got to keep moving. Because if if I stopped and my body cooled down, I felt I was going to get sick. And uh, so so I yeah. had to, I, we had to keep moving. You know, every piece of equipment I had was wet every article of clothing and uh you know we get back to the tent after this morning hunt what do we do we saw maybe one spike buck we saw a spike bull yeah a spike bull yeah and you know that was the close we had a that was a pretty close encounter what was how 50 yards for you right yeah from i think the, i was within 50 yards of him yep and then i thought we were going to have a play on that because i was after that hike i was like dude i'm shooting anything <laughs> yeah you were ready at that point any help any elk and that was the day one so i was just like you know this is the first trip for me i'm gonna shoot the first elk within shooting range and uh i you know i made a little play over this ridge and by the time that i got up to it he had bounded away i think our, our scent was kind of swirling but uh yeah and then after that back to the tent your stuff was just soaking wet and everything was wet your tent was bombed so we decided we had to go get you a new tent yeah that was fun. Yeah, um, we, so we packed all the way back out to the truck, then had to drive an hour from where the truck was to the nearest town, got to that town, checked a couple stores. They didn't have any tents. Then we had to drive another hour to get to a bigger town where we could find a tent, but we stopped at like four places before we finally found a spot to get your tent. Yeah. Um, $500 then, later. Yeah, yeah. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I heard about that when I got home. Believe oh, you me. Did, did you tell her how much it cost? <laughs> yeah. She's like, uh... How much did you spend on it? It's like, <laughs> I just don't worry about it. Well, well, 
I need to know how much you spent on it. So I told her and she's like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> Those weren't her exact words. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. I know but what you mean. She's like, I thought you had a tent. I'm like, I literally had to have a new tent or I was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, but gosh. we had a good hamburger out of the whole deal. We did. Cause at that point I was like, all right, you know, the way things are going, we're not going to make it in time to, to hunt in the evening anyway. So we might as well get a good meal. So stopped at a laundromat and, uh, dried all my gear out and, uh, headed back. Yeah. And, and really after that, the next like three days, almost we could fast forward through and basically just say when it was absolutely pouring, horrifically pouring rain, we just hung out in the tent because your stuff couldn't handle the rain. Everything was soaking wet and I didn't want you to die. So we just literally it was, I was dry at that point too, but I was dry, but it was raining, and the elk were the elk were not even bugling. Oh, that's uh, yeah, that's another thing we should point out. There was almost no, there was no bugling at all during daylight. We heard a no couple, activity, nothing. We heard a couple very, very, very distant bugles late at night, and a couple things like that, but nothing going on during daylight anywhere near us. Yeah, and I that's when it kind of that's kind of when it uh, came to a reality where it's like you know if the elk were bugling. And they were they were active. I would I would probably have got out of my tent more and maybe chased them. But from where we so, continued to see them at these higher elevations, and and the fact that it it rained at one point like eighteen hours in a row, we're sitting in our tents going, you know, what do you do? I was at one point I was reading the instructions on my blister kit <laughs> because <laughs> I was so bored. But oh, yeah. you know, we were dry, relatively. Relatively, yeah, and um, I mean, even your stuff got wet. Yeah, even my tent was so- starting to soak through on the bottom, and, and every time you go out there, even in your rain gear, when you get back in your tent, you know, everything's soaking wet, everything's muddy, and you know, I, you know me, even with whitetails, I hunt through anything, but yeah. in this type of scenario, like this, like you said, you know, number one, you go out there, you're getting soaking wet, especially you, your stuff's getting soaked through, you're in a bad situation if you get yeah. even wetter. Number two, there's nothing talking, there's nothing nearby, and there's hunting pressure that's pushed everything far away. Number three, you know, if it wasn't raining or if this, the conditions were better, even if the elk weren't bugling, what I would have been doing in that situation would have been, all right, we're going to hike a lot, we're going to glass a lot, and we're going to hope to spot something and be able to stalk in on it. But when it's pouring so hard that you can't see anything and the, the dirt is so muddy and slippery that you can't even hike without falling over every 30 yards. You can't go up hills. You can't go down some of these hills because you literally can't even get down them. You can't do anything. And that was what we were stuck with for a couple days there for parts of days. Most of, I think we had parts of days we were stuck in the tent because of that. And then it cleared up a little bit and we tried to get out there and hike a little bit, but it was pretty much a lost cause. I mean, I mean, we, we, we hunted one time a day. We got out of our tent one time a day It was for, for the, for the entire week. So it wasn't like a huge bust, but we were fighting the elements the entire time. Yeah, and and it was I mean it was the toughest conditions I've ever hunted in. Yeah. And and even when it did clear up and we were able to walk a little bit, couldn't get in any elk, could hardly see any elk. The only time we did eventually see some elk is when, you know, I think our fourth day or fifth day, we were getting late in the trip and we kept on trying to, you know, push farther and farther away trying to find where these elk might be. And we finally just went up this ridge right to the freaking top of a mountain nearly 
try to see over the other side, see if there's something way, 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 way over there. And we finally did get way up high after climbing, you know, 1,500 feet or 2,000 feet or whatever it was. Um, and we spotted a bull and some cows on the other ridge across the valley. And then we, well, at this point, that was the first bull we'd seen the whole trip. So we decided to tear it down after it. So then we went running down the steep hillside or ridge line, dropped down to the bottom of the valley. Had a pretty cool in- encounter with a moose. Yeah, so yeah, saw two moose down there at the bottom. Yep. And then tried to bomb up the other side, but now going up the other side, now it starts pouring rain again, and it gets super crazy slippery wet again. At one point, you fell and popped your knee out, right? Well, I didn't, like, I, every once in a while, if I'm using my knee a lot, it'll kind of, it'll have, it has like a hitch in it sometimes, and I was kind of trying to catch myself on some slipping mud, and my knee popped at, like, my knee caught. And I, I fell and landed on my back and uh, and got up. Fine. And, you know, luckily I wasn't hurt. But And w- when you say we went up 2,000 feet, I mean from our base camp to the top of that mountain was like 1,000 feet, okay, maybe 1,500 feet. And then we where we saw the elk at, we had to go down 500 feet and then come back up another 1,000 feet. So it was – it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life from a physical standpoint, pushing my heart rate and my body to exhaustion levels. Yeah, it was tough. And then we got to the top. It's pouring rain again. Everything's soaked. We've both fallen down multiple times. We're covered in mud. Elk's gone. Wet. All the elk are gone, of course. And then we had like a, I don't know how long, it seemed like a couple hour hike to try to get back to camp at that point, just through nasty, oh boggy, wet crap. Wet. And I mean that was basically waste high grass, waste high grass. Yeah, that's basically the story of our hunt. I mean, you fast forward another day or two that we were there, it was basically that. It was just more hiking, soaking wet. The final morning, we had nice weather for a little bit there in the morning, but we didn't see anything, didn't hear anything, nothing going. We just hiked a lot and looked around a lot, and that was our hunt. I mean, we we had you know it was one of these things where it was a fr- it was Friday morning, and we had planned to hunt Thursday or excuse me, Saturday morning, but we're sitting there going, okay, granted, anything can happen, right? Anything can happen, but we knew where the elk were at. They were the next ridgeline over, which is a huge walk from where, I mean, they were deeper into the national forest, which meant we would have had to double the amount of walking or hiking to get to, get to those spots. And if we did, for some reason, kill an elk on the Friday night or the Saturday morning, it was going to take us 24 hours with two people just to get the elk out of there. Yeah. It, it would to get to where those elk were by foot would have just been nearly physically impossible for us to pull off to, I mean, we could, we could have got in there and hunted. We would have had a nasty, nasty hike in and out to try to get in there, but we could have done that. But we wouldn't have been able to get an elk out unless you did, you know, literally just, you know, a day or two, like just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and literally kill ourselves about. I mean, yeah. and not at that make, point, not to make excuses, but I mean, you had a flight to catch, yeah. and I mean, and and the the wet conditions, every step you were sliding, so it, it just became a, a logistical nightmare, and it really wasn't safe at some points. Yeah, and I mean, man, it was just just 
as we said, brutal. Brutal. It was just brutal. But and, I tell you uh, what, I tell you what was awesome about that trip. Those kind of trips tell you something about who, who you are. If you can tough stuff like that out, you can tough just about anything out. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's the stuff that, that makes you. Yep. And it's like, I just remember the, I was so frustrated and so mad and just like the way things were when we were hiking back into town that set that, uh, what that the next morning after our first day there. And I'm just like, I I'm literally having to talk to myself to motivate myself to keep moving and just, and just like one more step, one more step, one more step, because the elevation was getting to me, the, the, the wetness was getting to me and but I tell you what, it's going to be a story that I'll have for the rest of my life. And like I said, I just remember that time when we, the very last morning, we hiked all the way up as this one ridge that we couldn't get to the previous three days. And we're sitting there and we're, we come across this old camp that was there. And we're sitting on the, uh, you know, we're looking over this huge bench and we're walk, we're just looking at the, the mountain in the, the background. And it was one of those moments where it's just like, this is, this is worth it. Yeah. It really was one of those that the hunting, you know, was nothing to talk about at all, but it was, adventure. Just, it was an adventure being out there, beautiful, beautiful country. And, uh, from that standpoint, it was awesome. So that was our Idaho trip. Well, let's not forget a couple things on the Idaho trip, which was Taco Bell. Taco Bell was good. Taco Bell. <laughs> That, that was like that was like our mantra when we were out there. It was like Taco Bell, Taco. Bell. What are you gonna do when you get out of here, Taco Bell? Taco Bell. <laughs> it's like it's like we were in some kind of prison. What are you gonna do when you get out, man? I'm gonna go eat Taco Bell. <laughs> well, yeah, but but we finally got Taco Bell when we did get out, and it stabbed me in the back <laughs> and Dan, made me. If Dan, you know can what you I mean. Pull over, Dan. Can you pull over? I'm like what? Yeah, Dan, can you pull over? Okay. Okay. Made me very uncomfortable for a part of that drive. <laughs> and then, yeah. Fast forward to your Oregon hunt. I want to hear about that. Yeah, Oregon. So this is a situation where, you know, I wasn't planning on doing this hunt until this summer. I got word from our partners at Lacrosse, who are the same company as Danner Boots. Um, and they reached out and said, hey, we'd love to spend some time with you this fall. Uh, have you come check out our headquarters, get to meet some people, and then hunt for, for a few days in eastern Oregon. Um, so, you know, this is a scenario where we'd be hunting with an outfitter, which I've actually never done before. And, you know, I think as we talked about before, Dan, you know, I've, I've never had an interest to hunt with an outfitter. You know, because I'm all, I, I, and I'm, I've got this idea that I'm just this DIY guy, and, and that's, you know, what I really enjoy. So I, I didn't think this would be something I'd enjoy necessarily, that aspect of it. But, it was something I couldn't say no to. It would be a great opportunity. It was going to be great to meet these guys from Danner and Lacrosse. Um, so I thought, hey, I'll give it a try. So flew out there on Monday, got into camp, and um, really from the beginning to the end, um, it was a really positive experience. I mean, I found there are some really cool things about doing an outfitted hunt like that. Um, it's not necessarily something you know that I would you know see myself doing in the future, mostly because I can't afford to do something like that. Um, and I, I do love doing things my on my own, but there was a lot of actually really cool, fun aspects of of being at a camp with a bunch of uh, hunters, and you know coming in at night and sharing your stories and sharing a good meal, and you know that 
camaraderie aspect was really cool that I've never got to experience to that degree. So I, I really enjoyed that. I, we hunted with Opal Butte Outfitters in Eastern Oregon. Really good guys. Incredible properties out there that they're hunting. Um, and I just, it was kind of the exact opposite of our hunt in Idaho, Dan. We heard elk every day like crazy. We're in elk every day. They're bugling very well almost the entire time. Uh, you know, we'd be, we'd get out, start hunting in the morning, be on, you know, a handful of bulls. If it didn't come together by the, you know, on our walk back to camp, we'd usually hear one striking up again in the late morning, have another chase. But uh, kind of the story of the whole week was that we, we were in them, we were seeing them, hearing them, chasing them every day, but really couldn't quite break that 100-yard barrier, couldn't quite get into them close enough. Um, even though this was like a great area, it wasn't public land, uh, it, was, it was private, so a lot more elk, a lot less pressured. Um, they still weren't really responding to calls. Like they wouldn't come into calls. They would respond to bugles in the distance, and you, know, you could locate them, but you couldn't get them to come into you. So we just moved a lot. And, you know, one of the things I was worried about, you know, like I just mentioned, I was worried that by doing an outfitted hunt, I wouldn't feel like I earned it. And so that was my concern going into the hunt. I was like, I'm going to, you know, even if I do kill an elk, it won't really feel like I killed an elk. It'll feel like I shot an elk, but I didn't really earn it. Um, But by the end of the trip, in my head, I was thinking, you know, if I kill one, I earn that son of a gun because we worked we worked physically. That was even more so than you and me in Idaho. I mean, we hiked and hiked and hiked and hiked and we did, we didn't stop. We just kept hiking up and down these huge ridges and mountains and hills and all sorts of stuff. Um, I mean, it was, thank goodness that I had lived in the mountains for two months and that I did this trip in Idaho beforehand. Cause if I, you know, if this had been any other year when I hadn't been doing all that stuff, I would have been killed up there. I wouldn't have been able to do it. We hiked, I bet you, probably 10 miles a day, but it was nonstop up and down, up, down, up and down, um, a legitimate 10 miles a day, just chasing elk up and down mountains and just burning it up. You know, if there's an elk, it wasn't like we're stopping every 30 seconds. We are burning it to get up there and get to that elk. Um, so man, it was, it was tough, but it was fun. Um, met a lot of great guys from Danner Boots and lacrosse and other hunters out there and the guides with Opal Butte. Really nice guys, really good crew, great place. Um, I saw what was probably my first legitimate 300-inch-plus bull. Saw just a giant. I mean, it was just cool to see elk like that. Um, I'd seen some big, you know, what I thought were big bulls past years in Idaho. Um, But, man, these are some impressive animals. So it was a lot of fun from that standpoint. So fast forward days one through four gets me a day number five. you know, up to this point, it's been great, been a lot of fun, but haven't been able to close a deal. Night number five, I think it was night number five, or night number four, one or two, I don't know. We, um, me and one other guy, a guide, uh, were hiking down. They weren't talking this night. We're coming down this ridge, and we were about to sit down and, and just glass and listen for a while. And we just come over this knob, and we spot some cow elk feeding right beneath us, like 70 yards down beneath us in the shade. They didn't see us. We stopped, snuck back a couple steps. And as we were going to kind of circle downwind a little bit just to get a better view and make sure our wind was good, as we did that, something spooked them. Maybe they heard us, maybe our shadow, something like that, because the sun was at our back and was casting a long shadow. Something spooked the elk. They go running away. Um, now, Dan, I don't think I've told you the story at all, have I? No, I haven't heard it no, yet. No, okay, so yeah, this is brand new for you too. So yeah. the elk go running down, and we you know, crouch down. We're like, son of a gun, we just spooked these elk. They're so close. Like, if there was a bull in there... 
we would have had a perfect setup. That was like our first really good opportunity, and we just blew it because we spooked him somehow. Yeah. So we're crouching there, and as we're crouching there, I see this nice bull come walking up the opposite hillside, and we're like, shoot, we screwed it up. There was a nice, I think it was a five by five. Um, might have been a six point. I couldn't tell if he had the double uh, fronts, the double kind of brow tines there, eye guards yep. or whatever they call them out west. I couldn't tell if he had one or two on each side. So possibly a six by six, definitely at least a five by five. Um, and he stands there and just staring right at us. So I'm pissed at myself. We are um, for having spooked him. Um, but we just stayed there crouched, and he just stood there staring at us for like 35 minutes, literally 30 minutes, 35 minutes. He just stared there, staring in the general direction, not exactly at us. I don't think he ever really spotted us. Just he knew something over there didn't seem right. Yeah. So we're crouched. He's standing. Half an hour passes. Finally, he says, okay, I don't see anything anymore. I think it's safe. Puts his head down, starts feeding. Feeds behind a tree. Dave, the guy I'm with, he backs up behind me and goes back maybe 50 yards and starts cow calling. First, the bull doesn't really seem to care about it at all. He just keeps feeding, keeps feeding. But finally, he looks up. He bugles once in our direction, and then he keeps feeding. And again, he's probably 200 yards away on the opposite. You know, There's a deep ravine in between us, and he's on this opposite ridge, 200, 300 yards away. He keeps feeding, and then he starts walking parallel to us on this other ridge, kind of uphill and away from us. Goes behind a bunch of trees. I lose sight of him. So at this point, it looks like he's going away, going uphill. Um, I sneak back to go get Dave and tell him, hey, hey, we, uh, we're losing this elk. We probably need to make a new plan. He's not responding to the calls. So we start walking back towards the front side of our ridge to kind of drop down and start maybe seeing if we can get going up that other ridge after him. And as we do that, Dave's like, whoa, whoa, stop. The bull had dropped down after he got in the trees and I couldn't see him. He dropped down in the valley and was coming back to us and he busted us again or saw some kind of movement or something. Cause they're at like a hundred yards. He's frozen there looking in our general direction again. And we're like, shoot, we just was threw this up again. No, our wind was perfect this whole time. Okay. So he must not have really, really seen us though, because he must've just heard the noise or something because Dave was able to drop back behind me again without him seeing and start call, start cow calling again. He cow calls. I'm frozen there. Long story short, finally I start seeing movement up to my left, and he had circled down or circled up, up the hill, got way above us, and is circling, trying to get to be downwind of us, circling up and around. So I see him. I drop to my knees, knock an arrow. He's about 80 yards away, kind of starting to angle towards me. It's really thick, though. I don't have any good shots. So I start belly crawling almost through the brush and stuff, trying to get to an opening where I'm, I'm watching where he's going. I'm looking at where I'm at and I'm trying to anticipate, okay, where do I need to get to, to get a shot? So I'm scooting along, scooting along. There's one opening he goes through. He's at 75 yards. I'm like, all right, I, for me, I wanted to, I wanted a shot within 50 yards. Um, a lot of guys out there shoot past 60, but I really wanted to be in the 50 yard ballpark, maybe a little bit longer if I absolutely had to, but really my comfortable zone was within 50. So, Obviously, 75 yards, I wasn't taking that shot. He goes cruising through that. I'm now scurrying around in all fours trying to get to another spot with my bow. And um, I get to my final spot. I'm like, okay, this is going to be, this is my one good lane. I think he's going to come through within range. So I really quickly ranged a couple spots. And he's like starting to move faster, coming this way. And then all of a sudden, he sticks out his neck. He's probably about like 65 yards away now, but behind brush. But I can still see him. I see him stick out his neck in front of him and just let out a, just a scream, just a nasty thing. <laughs> and then he tucks his neck back in and then starts hauling it, starts trotting right past, coming right down towards me. And I'm like, holy smokes, he's going to run right through my lane. This is it. 
He gets into my lane right as he gets to the lane. I'm drawn back. I bleat to stop him. He stops right in the shooting lane, uh, and I'd ranged a couple things in front of him, behind him. He's at 45 yards. Drew back. He stopped right there, about broadside, maybe a touch quartering two, but really good. I feel great. Like This is the shot. He stops, let her rip right behind the shoulder. The arrow looks good at the takeoff, and then instantly on the release, that son of a gun spun just as fast as any whitetail I've ever seen. But instead of just dropping right down, he spun. He jumped that string and spun a full 90 degrees between the time I released my arrow and the time it hit him. Instead of hitting him behind the shoulder, it hit him right in between, right in the chest, right between the two legs, you know, as, as if he were walking right toward me. Yeah. Hit him right there, spun around, continued, finished his spin, and went tearing out of there. So, of course, I was, you know, flustered and excited by the encounter and the shot, but really unhappy, obviously, with the hit. Um, you know, I know that kind of shot, sometimes people will take that shot. It can kill an animal. You, you can definitely get in the vitals, but in my opinion, it's a shot I would never personally take on purpose. Um, was obviously not the shot I wanted. Um, but at that point still, I thought, okay, not what I wanted to happen at all. But there's still, it looked like I got good penetration. It looked like I could have got into that cavity. Um, so at that point, I was still relatively optimistic. Um, long story short, because I know we're coming up on time here, he tore off. We eventually, later that night, started tracking. We had great blood for like 200, 300 yards, really good blood. I thought we'd come up on it at any point. Finally, we found a spot he bedded down. You could see coagulated blood there and stuff. And after that, we found he headed straight downhill from that point. We found four little pinpricks of blood and then nothing. And we tracked all that night and most a good part of the next day. And we just grid searched and we circled and we walked all these canyons and all these ridges and every low spot and every wallow. We just searched and searched and searched and searched. And we never found my bull. Man, that's tough. Yeah, it's... Uh, Man, I mean, as you know, that's that's about as low as it gets for a hunter. Um, obviously, very upset, very disappointed. The only difference, you know, as anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while knows, last year I hit a whitetail and, and wounded and lost my first whitetail ever, and that was a really hard experience, um, obviously. And during that experience, I went back and looked at that encounter over and over and over in my head again and thought through, I should have done that differently. I could have done this differently. I could have changed it if I would have just done this. This time, when I went and tried to replay the scenario over and over and over again in my head, I wouldn't have done anything differently. Like, I really feel like I did everything I possibly could have to get, you know, to make this a clean, ethical kill. And in the end, I just, you can't control what that elk does in that moment after you shoot the arrow. Yeah. And, um... So I don't know. In some tiny little way, it's a slight. Um, I'm, I'm struggling to find the right word, but I, I I I can't figure out the right word. It's very very upsetting. But I guess I feel that at least in this scenario, I don't think I could have done anything differently. I think it was just like a mother nature type of thing. Like just when you hunt, wild animals do wild things, and you can't control that. Um, so. You know, my lesson learned from this is just always, always do everything you can to make sure you get the best, most ethical, clean kill you possibly can. Work your tail off, practice, do all those things, and execute the hunt as best as you can. And in the end, you know, it is out of your hands in the very end. And I guess that was my big lesson learned here is that you can do everything you possibly can, and sometimes it still won't go the way you want it to. Yep. So, can't control that one bit. 
No. So that um, that was my elk hunt. It was uh, obviously very, very disappointing and um, sad way to end the hunt. But if I if I look outside of that, the rest of the experience is great. So um, big thank you to the guys at Danner and Lacrosse and Opal Butte for a cool hunt and a fun time and some great lessons learned. And I really looked at it as elk hunting lessons. That's what I thought this week would be really just trying to learn from these guys that know what they're doing. And so it's pretty cool from that standpoint. So now it's time for whitetail. Now it's time for whitetail. So, um, yeah, you and me, we, um, we've got some hunts coming up, but we won't talk about the whitetail stuff. Now we're going to have another podcast episode coming up very, very soon that we will be talking about whitetail stuff. So I think Dan, we should just zip our lips right now, save the whitetail excitement for another day and shut this show down. Short and sweet. Short and sweet today. So, with that being the case, really, really quickly, make sure you're checking out the Whitetail Q&A podcast. That's the new show from Wired to Hunt where me or a different Whitetail expert is answering a listener-submitted question on the podcast. It's really short and sweet, so check that out on iTunes or on wiredtohunt.com. Um, we, of course, need to thank our partners who help make this podcast possible. Big thank you to Sitka Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps, Ozonics, Carbon Express, Lacrosse Boots, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. Thank you to all those guys. And finally, most importantly, thank you all for listening to this podcast. Thanks for dealing with our absence last week and uh, sticking with us to, to hear about things today. So hope you enjoyed the show. Hope things are going well for you if your season has opened. And uh, whether or not it has, we wish you all the luck in the world on your next hunt. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.